Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Rosskatz. And we are here to count down our favorite moments from the Survivor 43 finale. Snap some necks and cash some checks. Evan, you go first. I'm good. Yeah, me too. Okay, thank you so much for listening. You can follow us at Drop Your Buffs Pod on Instagram. Rate and review if you liked this. <laughs> wow, what a moment in Survivor history. This season is going down and not in Survivor history. <laughs> um, this is true. I have to like preface if you are someone who your frustration with drop your buffs is around our and more more pointedly my negativity on Survivor, this will not be the episode for you. So I want to put this disclaimer out because I have to be myself. Well, I have to say that I was really struggling going into this finale because I tweeted about this as well, that Drop Your Puffs has gotten a lot of shit this season, more than we have in the past. And I feel like our criticism has been like more or less on par with, maybe it was a little bit more negative uh, at points than our criticism of 41 and 42, which, I mean, we've made it clear. We're just not big fans of new era survivor, modern survivor. And that's fine. That's kind of like the thesis of our podcast is that old school, good, new school, bad. And so I just started to see, and maybe it's just because we've been around longer and we've had more interviews and more people have come to the podcast, but there's just been like more negative reviews in the feed about like that they don't even like this show. Why are they, why do they have a podcast about this? Why bother? And (laughs) for me, I started to like be like, wait a minute why am I bothering? And like, do I even want to watch this show? Is this even worth it? And like, I know for every negative comment we get, well, there's like five positive comments and that's fine. But like, I can really dwell on that. And so it's like, what am I going to do here? Like, what is the solution? Why are the listeners so uh, uh, on on a different level than we are when we're talking about Survivor? Are we reaching the right audience? And then this finale happened and I saw the reaction online and it totally rejuvenated me because I was like, wait a second, we were right the whole time, the whole time. And so, so I feel vindicated in this moment because it seems like the overwhelming reaction is that Survivor 43 is an all-time bad season. And I think that some of the reasons that it is an all-time bad season are fundamental flaws in the game of survivor or the game of modern survivor and i don't see them trying to fix those and we can get into those a little bit but it's i do feel like we're at sort of a crossroads where it's like we get we gave them a chance with 41 we gave them a chance with 42 there were things that worked there were even things that worked in this season you know we had that stretch of episodes around the merge that that we enjoyed watching mm-hmm. um but uh, something went awry here and and it's not even about the winner for me it's like there's bigger issues with the show i think so anyways i'll leave it there for me evan do you have any high level thoughts going into this no i i i agree entirely with what you said i thought it was really 
validating is perhaps the word, like going online and seeing maybe (laughs) for the first time people that I feel like are usually in that like Dalton Ross headspace of like, this is the greatest show that's ever existed. It can do no wrong. Start to actually, you know, see some some holes in it. You know what it reminded me of? It's sort of like how you have some of those Republicans after the January 6th insurrection that were suddenly like, oh, maybe Donald Trump's like not great. Um, It reminded me of that where it's like suddenly like this thing that was like in plain sight all along it started to become more of a collective conscious. Right. Um, so so the yeah. so the jury overwhelmingly voting for Gabler was your January 6th. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, January 6th was your January 6th. <laughs> January 6th was my January 6th. Also January 6th will be the RuPaul's Drag Race season 15 premiere. So, it'll go Also down January as... 6th turns out was Gabler's January 6th. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um but so that's how I felt watching it. I didn't, um, will it go down as one of the all time worst? It's hard to say because I think that, um, there's, <laughs> it's hard to say because there's a lot of bad seasons that predate it, but I definitely think it is worth meditating on the fact that so many diehard Survivor fans are openly willing to criticize this season. That to me is a, a turning of the tide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And even like some of our, diehard drop your buffs listeners like i'm getting messages and maybe it's just like fresh maybe it's just fresh but they're like i'm not watching 44 and that's like like i've been saying for a while here i think that survivor has a problem on its hands because they're just doing the same thing over and over and over and it's like fine but it's not good and so i think that their unwillingness to like play with the format or maybe like reverse some of the changes that aren't working is a real detriment to it because if we're just like middling this whole time through four seasons now we're about to get the fourth season with basically the same format sure put an idol in a cage but like that's not a format change uh i think it's a problem and like people are going to get bored and so i have to grapple with this concept of like I want them to go back to basics, right? And basics doesn't mean like no idols season, you know, one to ten, one to nine, whatever. Um, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm just looking to strip back a little bit, right? Like I'm open to the idea of twists, but it's like, so I'm grappling with this, like, I don't want all these crazy twists. And then I'm like, well, actually, the, or I don't want these crazy format changes. And then I'm like, but it's time to change the format. And I'm open to them changing the format in a way that I haven't seen yet. Like I'm open to them trying something, but right now they're just trying nothing. Um, It's basically like we've tried nothing and nothing works. So that's like really frustrating as a viewer. Uh, It's certainly frustrating as a podcaster who has to like find something new to say about the show every week. (laughs) And I can also imagine that as a casual viewer, it's like, well, why am I tuning into this? Yeah, and I think that top line within all of that is just that their unwillingness to return to the 39 days um, to keep it at this 26 day game, which I think something that we spoke about at length with Parvati during our recent interview was just how much that changes the game from the player's perspective of how they move through it. We're also seeing people taking um, 
playing less risky games, which I think makes for less interesting television. And then even small things, like with this finale, I understood with 41 and 42 why we weren't doing the live finale because, you know, there were concerns over COVID. But like, we're at a place now where you can do a live finale. You can hold to read the votes. They knew that when they were making this. So now what we're understanding is things that we thought were decisions that were made due to circumstance are now becoming just decisions made by choice. And and for what? Like, it was so fun to just get those wide shots of the audience at the finale so that you sort of, as someone who enjoys the show, understood that you were part of a community of people that loved this show and that there was an enthusiasm around it. And they got, you know, even just, you know, how much did we love those shots of getting to see the players months later with hair and makeup and oftentimes to terrifying effect. But like, that was one of the the great things about the show, seeing them after they'd finally eaten some food and were nourished. Mm -hmm. There's just so many little, to borrow a Dalton Ross term, flourishes that in addition to like the fact that they've added weird flourishes, they've taken out a lot of the flourishes that I think are signature survivor. And I don't know why, especially with 43 now, there's this, this continuation of so many things that I just am ready to, I thought were going to be, you know, two offs. And, and here we are. And it seems there's indication to believe that it will extend a lot of these changes will be beyond just season 44. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre and strange. And it's like, it, it, even if they want to reveal the vote and have some live reactions on the island, that's fine. But you can still have a reunion. Lots of shows have reunions. They don't have right. to be competition reality shows, right? So it's strange. It's strange because this is a, the kind of season. Like I would love to. I would love to get this cast back together. Like <laughs> love. Uh, I would. I would be interested to see this cast getting back together and having. Cassidy talk about her loss. I would love to hear the jury reflect on their vote for Gabler. Uh, maybe they've changed their minds. Maybe seeing mm-hmm. the show, or or maybe they say, wait, Gabler did way more than we ever saw on the show. Or, hey, why didn't they show that alliance between Jesse, Gabler, and Cody that seemed so important to his win, yet never appeared in the show beyond that we saw them vote together? So it might be interesting to hear them reflect on that outside of like interviews with Dalton Ross or, or Rob Sesternino. So yeah, do, do I see it coming back? No, but it's like that there's a perfect reason why it should come back. I think that like, if we're really going to be invested in this thing, then like, let's carry it through to present day. Okay, well, let's talk about this finale a little bit. I don't. We're not doing a deep dive on this one because it's rough. Uh, so we can talk about that they went to the new beach, right? And they once again were doing the word scramble, uh, the word scramble for an advantage in the next challenge. And so Carla ends up getting that advantage. Uh, there's a little bit of a. a, a race with Owen, but Carla ultimately gets it. I, I actually appreciated the format of this advantage because I think in the past it's been like a little bit too much of an advantage. Here it was just that she had some of her uh, word tiles, letter tiles at her final station instead of like getting to skip a whole leg. Um, and I guess in that way you do skip like kind of like a round of having to run back and forth. But and maybe it was because Carla did have like 1800 injuries that it didn't really count a whole lot to the way that she ended up placing. Um, but I, I liked that it was just kind of like a light advantage in the challenge. Yeah, I did want to point out the fact, though, that 
seeing that reaction shot of the remaining um, contestants when they were told that they were going to the new beach and you have them like dumbfounded by that is one of those frustrations that I have where it's like, y'all are super fans of this show. If anyone should not be dumbfounded by that, it's you all. And so I have to believe that they're acting and it's just one of those weird things. And it's like, I don't understand. And and you and I have differed on this, I think, in past seasons where I said that I thought it was a very unnecessary um, sort of final act because I was like, I don't really think that that's that big of a deal because you're only there for a night or two. So it's not as though you're going to rebuild your shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you stand on it now uh, in season 43? I still like, I like that they go somewhere else. I don't think it makes a big difference to the show. I do think that if they are going to put this advantage in at this point in the game. I think it is helpful that it's in an environment that they're not familiar with because it makes the searching maybe a little bit more frantic because they're they don't know what they're looking for where if you got a if you got a clue that said you know you're looking for a dead tree with a rock you might you might in your mind if it's on your own beach be like oh I think I know where that is. So I think like this moment with say Owen and Carla, where they're like, well, which tree is it? And we're having to go check out all these trees. Like, I don't know that you would necessarily get that if it was back on their merge camp beach. Uh, So I don't like, is that that a significant impact to like the viewing experience? No, Mm -hmm. but I, I like the idea that they're going somewhere new. Yeah, I also just feel like, and this is one thing we've spoken about before, is a sort of lack of understanding of like the layout of the island which is that when they went to go look for that advantage, it seemed like they were really looking within like a 50 yard radius. Like it wasn't as though, it just the fact that Carla and and Owen were so close together in their search, like we're literally just like side by side rather than going off in different directions and Mm -hmm. seeing who made the right decision was one of those things where I think it would be more Fun. We've talked about this before because, like, the mole does this sometimes where, like, they'll zoom out on the map and show you mm-hmm. how far off they are from the actual treasure or something. I, I, A, have no sense of how big this island is, but, like, it just seems like it It more seemed like, oh, the uh, advantage is right here. It's just a who gets to it first rather than a you need to really parse out where this advantage is hidden. I just feel like it was that that part of it made it seem very... Uh, I'm not sure that's how they intended it to be designed. Yeah, I think that this worked better in 41. And I can't believe I remember how this played out in 41, but the the adventure was kind of like hanging in a bush and Erica found it. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of like in the middle of nowhere. And I I do remember a lot more searching around where like people were actually kind of like not giving up, but really slowing down. And I think that just kind of like putting it somewhere in in the jungle... Uh, helped in that sense where because the clue actually pointed them to the beach it's like there's probably only so much beach that they can run down and check because you do have like i mean we know that there's one boundary to the beach which is those rocks that owen was sort of like rambling over um and then i don't know what's on the other side but there's probably only so much of a stretch of beach this is the same beach i saw that sandra posted that this is the island of the idols so we've seen that before. So I think there is like, I think it's a smallish island with only like a certain amount of stretch of beach. So it's like really narrows down the search area. Okay. So at the challenge, Owen ends up winning. He wins immunity. Good for him. 
And so this is where we're going to lose Carla at the same sort of point. I thought this was interesting that we're losing Carla at the same point that uh, we lost Ricard in 41. And I've compared their games before because it did feel like they sort of like came out swinging in the pre-merge. Uh, they were forces in the early merge and then something happened. Actually, for both of them, they voted out their closest ally, Car Ricard by choice, Carla sort of like by force. Um, and then after that, their games sort of fall apart. They, they're playing they're playing with their backs against the wall, basically. And it's just a matter of time until their tribe mates can get them out because they do see them as a threat because of their pre-merge and early merge games. So uh, this was interesting because you do see that uh, uh, Carla and Cassidy are, are kind of going for each other. Uh, Carla's also going for Jesse because uh, they're concerned, and I think everyone's concerned about his perception amongst the jury after his move of playing Cody's idol to get Cody out. And so I really liked this conversation between Carla and Cassidy, and I think it was pretty illuminating to the way that the final tribal played out where they were very like much having an open, honest conversation about how they were butting heads and that Carla was basically like, if you're going to send me to the jury, just know I'm going to tell them all that you suck and you're not getting votes. So that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I just, we've talked about this. I didn't, it's like the two players that you want to yeah. be getting along, constantly gunning for one another. And beyond that, I just don't understand why either of them saw the other one as a threat. Because yeah. Carla was the, it just in terms of like um, resume, had the least going for her um, in, in this. And also was the easiest to sort of had uh, other people against her. Um, that could have easily, like, I, I just feel like for them to team up together would have been such a better move for both of their games. And I found them both to be, I wanted to believe that they were perceptive enough to know that. And it was just, again, we've said this, but like you have Jesse in plain sight, finally in this finale, do we have people understanding the fact that Jesse's the person you need to go for? But even thinking about the fact that like Owen, um, I think it, up until the finale had two immunity wins, correct? I believe so, sorry to put you on the spot. I think so, because this was his third one in the finale. Yes. So it's like, sure, you could say, well, Cassidy leading up to the finale had two immunity wins. So perhaps from Carla's perspective, she's seeing Cassidy as, you know, a big challenge beast, which I don't think two challenge wins makes you a challenge beast. I do think three does, but at that point it was only two. But nonetheless, it's like Owen and Cassidy have more or less the same resume. And wouldn't you be thinking about the fact that Owen sort of has this constant underdog story. Being on the wrong side of the vote constantly, I actually think is like a great thing to be able to bring to tribal and say, I was constantly playing from the bottom and I had to be scrappy. I feel like there's like built-in story there. So at that point I'm thinking, okay, Jesse could have it. Owen could possibly have it. Why are they after one another? I just, I couldn't understand that. I agree with you. I appreciated the conversation and the bluntness of the conversation, but it still left me puzzled why both of them were playing the way that they were. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think that there was a lot of people getting into their heads, and we saw that over the course of weeks about uh, in terms of like pitting them against each other. And at first, it was kind of made up, but there was validity to it in that uh, you know. 
Cassidy knowing about Carla's idol was a threat to Carla and then sort of like that coming out and then that forcing Cassidy to talk about Carla's idol. Like I do think that other people were quite strategic in the way that they pitted them against each other. And it's just frustrating more so that they couldn't just come together, compare notes and be honest. But they did, I think, each feel like they may have had a better shot going in these other directions that people were pulling them in. I just don't think that their bond was ever that close. Like, I always saw Cassidy as like the convenient third to Carla and James. Which is a big problem because when you look at the history of why I think people love this show, the Parvati and Amanda Bond, the Fishback and JT Bond, the uh, Kim Spradlin and Chelsea Bond, like this show is so built around the idea that these alliances, you know, permeate just gameplay and are actually about two people from different walks of life coming together to play a game and realizing within that, like the power of the strategic bond as sort of like, you know, leading to a real life bond. And like, I just didn't get that from anyone this season. I, whether or not Jesse and Cody are friends outside this game, I don't give a fuck. Like there's just not that same sense where in past seasons, you want to believe that the people on this island are bonded for life. Even the Richard Sue bond of season one, which wasn't like a bestie bond, it still was very much clearly a bond. I mean, it's why Sue would not turn on Richard, even when you thought it was going to happen. So I think that was a big chunk missing from this season. And I think something overall missing from Survivor, which I think goes back to the 26 days versus 39, which is the fact that you just are not given enough space to create bonds that are bigger than just strategic. Yeah, I agree. And we've talked about that we just haven't gotten to know these people. Like, I I don't know these people at all. Uh, The people I got to know best were maybe... Cody and Carla and it's only because they had personalities that came through in their confessionals but even then I don't really know like what motivated that I didn't I never really heard like why this money is going to change their life why they wanted to do Survivor like uh, which I don't even want to need to hear why, why they need to want to do Survivor, but there's just like certain things that are like touch points in like how I get to know a character and understand a character and feel like I understand their motivations. And we're just not really getting that here. I think we're getting like really surface level, you know, tip of the iceberg sort of stuff um, uh, about who these people are. And that's, that's subbing in for actual deeper understanding based on watching relationships play out, watching how they converse with other people, watching how they react to situations. Uh, Instead, we're just getting sort of like whispers in the jungle about votes. And that's... Or you hear things like Owen talking about like his best friend, Noel. And it's like, where was that all season? Like, I never understood that. And also speaking of Owen, like, I'm sorry, you are not Charlie Brown, my dear. Um, Charlie Brown, like the... the, Charlie Brown is an icon. (laughs) Charlie Brown is an icon. Charlie Brown also doesn't have outbursts. Like, I have to say, that was a really not yeah. great moment for Owen in, yeah. like, I don't know. Do men ever do things sometimes that, like, you you see, like, you see something emerge in them, like, a, a, a very male, a like, testosterone rage? Yeah, and you're like, oh, like, I know where you can go if pushed. Yes. And that was a moment where, like, I, granted, that's who he is, I but, like, I was like, there's a darkness to that moment in how frustrated he got. And then also when he won the immunity in this episode, the level of how excited he got, it was just like, it was so, the machismo there was like so off-putting to me. But I just was like, Charlie Brown does not act out this way in either direction. Like, No, that, Charlie Brown accepts his fate. Exactly. 
So I just thought that, and I heard a certain <laughs> podcast applauding the fact that like, it's so great that like Owen's being his own narrator. How cool is that? And I'm like, mm, I'm okay with like these, these uh, contestants not trying to dictate how we see the edit. That is not something that I find entertaining ever. No, I've never liked when people tell me who they are. Right. Or tell me where they fit into the show. I've never liked that. I'll stand by that. Uh, but it was not only in this moment, but also in the next immunity challenge where they're stacking the bowls. And Owen's stack fell and he took the he took the stick. Did you see this? He took yeah. the stick that holds the bowls and he slammed it against the ground so hard that it bent. So even if Cassidy was not like even if suddenly her her stack fell because the game was still playing at that point, his stick was useless. He never would have been able to stack the things or get certainly not get it through the maze. So, yeah, uh, I don't want to like go so far as to say he's got like rage issues or something, but like <laughs> he he is a little bit of a loose cannon, and it's very at odds with the Owen that I think that he is usually presenting to the world when he's sort of like in control of his emotions. Right. Men can be very emotional. Which made me think that there's like a more interesting character in Owen yes. that exists, but like we yes. didn't get it on Survivor because either maybe if the 26 days, but also I think there was like Owen was making an effort to come off a certain way that I think the facade started to fade, but by the time it started to fade, it was the end of the game. Because like if yeah. we would have had 10 more days of this Owen, I think things really could have fallen apart in a compelling way, uh, but we didn't get that. I also just wanted to point out, going back to the advantage, the verbiage, um, how the note itself said slight advantage, and then when brought up at the challenge, Jeff mentioned that it's a decent advantage, and I just was like wondering, like, why we just couldn't call it an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> missed that. Missed all that. But you know what I did see. Speaking of verbiage, is that our our great, brilliant, great and brilliant winner, the powerful Mike Gabler? Uh, they did certainly insert a moment here that was not so cute for him, where he was working on the word scramble and he just couldn't get it, and he was like, "What is this word? What is this word?" And he had written down cork, and the word was rock. Uh, there was just a lot of like Dodo Gabler moments, which I think made his win even more surprising. By the way, there's like fucking drilling going on next door again. I don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know if it's like a Vitamix they have, but it's every day. And so apologies if you heard that on my track. <laughs> if you hear it, <laughs> it's Owen kicking up a fit. He's, <laughs> yeah, still, he wants getting, he's still getting over it. Owen moved in next door to me. I also just wanted to mention, so we have this like uh, moment where uh, Cassidy and Owen go off and enjoy their reward and they're talking about their strategy. Whereas like, first of all, it makes no sense that Cassidy's like, when you're at the final five, you can't really like, you can't talk to someone about the game too much because when, when you're working with someone... It's one of those weird things where it's like, I genuinely believe that they were working together in that moment. And you have Cassidy going over the fact that like, this thing will be like a big move for you. And it's like, well, Cassidy, if you've outlined that, what shouldn't that be a red flag? Like, I think she meant it genuinely. Like she was like, this will be a good thing for you, Owen. But it's like, yeah, a good thing for Owen is not a good thing for you, Cassidy, even if Owen is in your alliance. Like I needed like that, her to like wake up and then back at the beach or wherever, we get Carla and Gabler and Jesse talking 
about this final three for them. And it's like editors, cut, 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 cut. It's just the three of them there. What are they supposed to talk about from a strategic perspective? The three of them are sitting there. There are two other players not there. It just is one of those things where it's like all three of them knew it was bullshit and yet they were just entertaining the conversation that you would have if the three of you have a chance to be alone, why not propose a final three? Much in the same way that, um, what's the 19-year-old's name? Sammy. Sammy. Much in the way that he proposed that like final seven or something when they did the split. You remember when they did the split, uh, the fake mm-hmm. merge or, mm-hmm. or the path, whatever. He was like, hey, we're all here. Why don't, it should be us that goes to the end. It's like, of course you're going to do that, I didn't understand why the show, well, I guess they had three hours to fill, so maybe I do understand, really. But it just was like, we don't need these like strategic conversations towards the end here. Let's get to it. Yeah, so you're saying that Jesse, Carla, and Gabler should have been proposing a final three? No, they were proposing a final three. Oh, they three. were, right. And yeah, I'm saying okay. we don't need to hear it because there's right. no other options. Because then you Obviously, get a cutaway yeah. of Gabler being like, I, this is never going to happen for me. I want to go with... Um, Owen and Cassidy, and it's like, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. They're better people for you to go with, but you just, so then why do we even, but they they were trying to frame it as though Gabler agreed to this final three, but he's not in it. And it's like, no, he didn't really agree. Circumstance made it where he was having a conversation with the only other two people at the beach. What is he going to say? Yeah, exactly. And this is the other thing is it's like uh, negotiations on a final two, final three deal are so important to Survivor and they're so important to relationships and alliances. And you can have these conversations till the cows come home. There's nothing you can do about it. The final four fire making challenge makes it impossible to follow through with a final two or three deal because you lose total control over who is going to wind up in that final three. So it's like, what's the point? You can't, you can't make a final three deal. You can make a who's going to fire deal if you happen to win immunity in a one in four shot. You can do that. But like a final three deal? No. Let's go to Tribal Council and talk about the reveal, the long-awaited reveal of Janine's idol, which I did think, I I did like this actually. And uh, I liked Janine's reaction. It's nice to get a jury reaction. What, What? You're making a face. Well, wasn't her reaction confirming the fact that it was a real idol? I felt like that was a little. I wasn't sure if that should be allowed because uh, the whole I don't idea, think there was. I don't think there was any question that it could have been a fake idol. I mean, like, I don't know Owen about that because con- Owen himself confirmed it was a real idol. I suppose, but I just I don't know. I feel. I, I guess is anyone listening to this having a similar reaction to me? I'm not invalidating what you're saying. Like, perhaps it's true. It was so out there at that point. Who even cares? But I do think that, like, do we need to, like, tamper reaction from the jury? And what would have happened if... So the guy that gave her the idol, he's not on the jury, right? No. I just wonder how that all would have played out. I don't know. There was a part of me that just was like, should she be reacting this big? Is it not a complete tell? I get what you're saying. I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have a reaction. Because even if it was fake, like, it's not like she's that close that she can inspect it. Could just Mm -hmm. be a thing of yellow beads. Like, I mean, he knows that the Baca one should look like yellow beads. And so, like, it's possible that he puts together a string of yellow beads, Mm -hmm. which from that distance, she shouldn't be able to, like, confirm or deny that it is it. But the fact that he pulls it out and says this is Janine's idol, like, that would be pretty goopy, whether it was real or not. 
I do think that this tribal had a really, uh, I just said really and very at the same time, um, a really important moment, um, which was when we finally got our first live tribal in some time, Owen turns to Jeff and said, because Owen's very shocked that this is happening, because I think there's something about Survivor super fans that like when they're finally in a live tribal, it like excited, I don't know, whatever. They like really live for that. And he says, this has been a very subtle season. That's what he says about mm. the season up until the finale. And it's like, that's not a good thing. Like he's saying that in a way it's like, oh, everything's been simmering and it's finally come to a boil. And it's like, I think Survivor needs to boil often. I don't think like, I think that a certain character can simmer and then all of a sudden boil. But for a season to simmer, I thought that was a um, a moment of reflection that I think uh, sort of, uh, I, I was like, yeah, that is this season. This season is subtle, and my addendum would be this season is too subtle. Yeah. Well, I think Jeff feels that way, too. Jeff gave an I interview. do, too. I think we can talk about this maybe towards the end, but like, I think Jeff was not vibing with this cast or this season, and especially towards the finale, the speed, just the whole lack of pomp and circumstance that we've become accustomed to with Jeff was just not there in this episode. Yeah. Jeff did he give an interview yeah. to... I, he gave a couple interviews. I think he did a Dalton Ross interview. Surprise, surprise. And he did a Mike Bloom interview as well for Parade.com. And uh, in that one in particular, he kept talking about how um, the social contract of Survivor 43 made it so that people were playing from a place of fear. You know, we didn't see idols played. We didn't, you know, people people were really afraid to break with their plans, uh, try something new, et cetera, et cetera. And he, I mean, of course, he's pitching this as like, you better tune into the finale to see what happens about that. But um, I got the sense that he was saying that in a in a way that was just disappointed. I think what he doesn't realize is it's the game that he's made that has made it this way. There's mm-hmm. certain like the, the fact that everybody knows where every idol is except this surprise Janine idol, which is lo and behold, one of the more memorable moments of the season. Um, that when you have these idols that everybody knows about, it negates the power of the idol. Um, and certainly the, the power of the element of surprise when it comes to an idol. Right. I just think it's so interesting that like Mike White is this survivor super fan slash person who's play, played played the game before slash person who's friends with Jeff Probst and has, you know, a clear hand in some of the ways in which the show has gone or or perhaps deterred the show from going in directions it might have gone. And Mike is riding like the highest high, you know, this Emmy award-winning show, buzzy buzzy buzzy. And then you have Survivor, which is like, I feel like really crashing at the moment. And it's like, I, I I so wish that like we could take some of the juice from the White Lotus and like sprinkle it on Survivor because it needs that. Like it, it whatever that special sauce is that Mike White possesses, Survivor needs it and it's not getting it. And I'm wondering like what I wouldn't give First of all, to get Mike White's thoughts on Survivor 43. Second, is Mike White watching Survivor 43? Because, I mean, if I were Mike White, busy schedule aside, I might be like, mm, I don't know if I need to need to be tuning into this one. Maybe I'll binge it at a later date. But also, are there any conversations being had in real time between Mike and Jeff with regard to how the show can improve itself? Yeah, I would be very curious about that. Like, I would love to have Mike White on here to talk frankly about 
the new era of Survivor. I don't know if he would because Jeff is. But a you know what would be but... funny? What if we got him on and he was like loving it? He was like, "This is, I think." The, well, I would love to game. hear that opinion. I would love yeah, to hear that I mean, opinion because, and I honestly, if it came from opinion, him, I'd be interested to hear what he has to say. And it might shift mine. I'd be like, "Well, if Mike White likes it." <laughs> Okay, so we do have our live tribal. Ultimately, though, Jesse plays the idol for himself and Carla gets sent home. She she was trying to push for a last minute Cassidy flip, but nobody was going to go for that. No one's going to go for it. And I think it made like, I agree with you. This was like not a, a bust of a tribal, but I think that in a, in a, in a, uh, with a different like cast shakeup or a breakdown, um, this could have been really, really exciting. But at the end of the day, it was like, no matter who went home here, I didn't think it was anyone that... I don't think Carla was going to win the game. I don't think this was, like, a move that, like, ultimately was a huge factor. I don't think Cassidy was going to win the game. So there's a version of this event in which it's, like, you're at the final five and someone pulls out an idol after already using their idol the previous tribal. No one knew this idol was even in play. Like, this could be a real goop. And... I, I think it was a satisfying moment, but I don't think it was at the level that it could have been had the cards fallen differently. Right. Okay, we go straight from Carla's exit, which she gets the music. Everyone's getting the music this episode. There, there is a little liberal <laughs> with the music. Uh, but we go straight from there to immunity. There's no like coming back to camp and like figuring things out. Doesn't matter. We're Good. going straight to immunity. <laughs> and I actually like this immunity challenge. Although I think 15 bowls stacked on the top is like excessive. 15. Like eight, I thought would be good. 10 max. 15 seemed like a lot. But. <laughs> I do. I too like this challenge. I was really hoping for the. Uh, the ball in the cage where you keep adding more balls. Oh, summation. Yeah. Yeah. I fet like this one, the thing about this one is it's ultimately like if you have enough of, if you're in the lead, you're pretty much set so long as the wind doesn't play a factor, which it can. But like, I feel like there are challenges that have, that are just more tense, that have more variables. And I also feel like this is a really great opportunity in this final immunity to bring in a new challenge, try something new. Um, You know, we're talking a lot about the formulaic nature of the show. And I just felt like this to me felt like a very, although again, a challenge that I like, I don't think this had like the um, hype for what could have been like an, an epic ultimate challenge a la I mean, obviously, we sort of fell off on the Challenge USA because of where things netted out. But had that finale challenge worked out, had everyone not... I don't even want to even talk about the Challenge USA finale. But but I like that epic nature of, like, we're at the final challenge. It's going to be 24 hours. I do wish Survivor would embrace something that's, like, the final challenge is, like, the last real climb up the hill. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things we could do here, but... I do, like I do like these sort of like skill testing <laughs> challenges. Not that this is a skill, but I like I, I like this these sort of like steady hand concentration challenges. Uh, it would be cool to see like a different one, but this was one I feel like we haven't seen in a little while. May, I may be corrected on that, but I do feel like we haven't seen this particular one in a while. So it was nice to see back. Uh, we did get, of course, Owen's temper tantrum where he broke the stick, I think. Um, and Cassidy ends up winning. So I think this is Cassidy's third uh, immunity win. And 
somebody said as Cassidy, I think it was after Owen's stack fell right at the end there and Cassidy was like getting ready to place her final one. And I almost thought it was Gabler saying, come on, wind. Yeah, it was. Like what? I, I just don't get what stakes Gabler has in the whole thing. Who? What does he care who wins? He's ever anyone's taking him to the end. I also think it's seldom that we get someone being so like outspoken and like yeah. cheerleading against someone. <laughs> yeah, you don't get that. Okay, okay, iconic moment for Gabler. <laughs> I still think his moment of the season will be. Yeah. The, the yeah you the know, dedications yeah the minute by minute dedications yeah. I do I mean I stand by that I thought yeah that I know you, you called it iconography <laughs> <laughs> hey I don't throw that out too often I know it's more iconic than some winners of the new era mm-hmm. okay so <laughs> so Cassidy has a decision to make she has to decide who she's sending to fire who she's taking to final three now. I don't know if I missed something in the last couple of seasons, but since when are they providing them fire-making practice kits? I had the same note. (laughs) So I know it wasn't in 41 because I saw Heather tweet. I saw Heather Aldrich tweet. Wished I had that. Yeah. Because one of the big complaints and all. Yeah. One of the complaints about the fire making challenge that I've heard over the years from contestants is that the knife that they give you to work the flint in the fire making challenge is a small knife. And when you're practicing at camp or making fire at camp, you're using the machete. And so it is a different technique and it's like a different sort of like motor skill, I guess, that that you're trying to memorize. And then you have this new tool that you have to make it with, which is why people can be really, really good or like that's what people say is the reason why they can be really, really good at camp and then they get there and sort of flounder. But they even had the knives. They even had the little knife. So that was interesting. So they're just like kind of, I don't know. I didn't love that. I like that if it's a challenge, it should be a challenge. Just throw them into it. Yeah, and, it definitely... and I realize also that we've been recapping Borneo and I've been talking about how I love that they get to practice challenges. <laughs> I love that they're provided tools to practice the challenge. But, but I think that's different. very different. This feels different. This is different too because the fire making, for better or for worse, aka for worse, is a staple of the show. Whereas those challenges yeah. you're referring to are something that they would have no idea about. Again, though, the, the thing, a broken record at this point, but it's like, how come no one comes on the show being like, oh yeah, I'm fully prepared to make fire. It's like why it becomes this sort of scramble. You do wonder though, like, are they just splicing together? Once you're down to like the final six or something, or maybe even sooner, you'd think you'd be spending time practicing fire making. So do you think they just cobble together footage from throughout the season of people attempting to make a fire? It can't be this thing that at the 11th hour, everyone's like, oh yeah, gotta learn how to make fire now. No, I think I think they're they're talking about it for some time, and we did see Jesse talk about it earlier on when he he wanted I don't remember who he wanted to get rid of somebody because they were right. really good at fire. So I, th- I definitely think they're talking about it through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, the fire making to me feels like the thing that the most that the fans are the most aligned on hating. Like it feels like yeah. of all of the twists and turns, I would say. Well, I would say the hourglass was something that we were more or less all unified on hating. But this seems to be the thing, and especially because it's been around 
for a lot longer. Um, I did want to read a tweet from Ryan Scally that I like think just like hits the nail on the head. And it says, making fire at the end is a punishment for not having a good enough physical game to win immunity or a good enough social game to convince someone to take you. Putting yourself in a spot with a 50% chance to lose the game should be viewed as a dumb move, not a good one. And I agree with that so wholeheartedly. I thought it was ridiculous that Jesse would even present this to Cassidy. I appreciated Cassidy in that moment of like barely pretending to even like go along with it. But I do think this is like one of those paradigm shifts of like, there's been this impression uh, that was brought out, I think because of the hot, who's the hot winner? Chris Underwood. Yeah. He went to fire, right? Like he chose to go to yeah. fire. Yeah. And I think that that, for some people set this precedent that's like, this is if you need a flashy move at the end, and if you want to prove your place in the final three, this is what you do. And while I do think that obviously worked to, you know, for Chris, um, who is so hot, by the way, um, mm. <laughs> it's not something that should be seen as something that needs to be done. If you won immunity to get you to the final three, you're good, babe. You're good. Hmm. Unless, yeah. the, I guess my, the only thing I can think of is if you've played an entirely equal game to your closest ally, a la Wendell and Dom, and like there's nothing that could possibly differentiate you two, that to me I feel like is a unique circumstance. But in Cassidy's position, I just feel like she was smart not to go. And I think it's frustrating that there will be people out there that will say, had Cassidy gone to fire, she could have won the game. Because I don't think okay. that's the case. I have, a, I have a voicemail about this that I would like to play. Hey, Sean and Evan, this is Brendan calling you from Charlotte, North Carolina. Just wanted to express my frustration with this finale and still feeling punked from last night. Uh, I think we saw another example of the Final Four fire-making challenge's biggest flaw and how it incentivizes whoever wins um, to give up their hard-won immunity um, to sort of make this one last show in front of the jury. And the, we've seen the jury punish people, specifically women, for not going against, going against the biggest threat in fire. Um, it happened in Allie Anderson, and it happened to Cassidy. So curious if you guys think it should go. I would be pretty shocked if you defend it, but let me know. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting because that parallel to Natalie, I think, is interesting. Although, although it was like slightly different because she did spend most of her game, uh, the actually the entirety of the game, over on the edge of extinction. So she was a little bit more in that Chris Underwood position. Um, but even still, like I don't see it. Even for Chris, like I'm sorry, but making fire at Tribal Council has nothing to do with the game. It has nothing to do with the game. That would bear no weight on my jury vote if I was a jury member. There's also just what does that tell me about the strategy of your game, yeah. how you play? It tells me absolutely nothing except that you can make a fire with these weird materials in a weird setting that isn't even on the ground. Like it's not even a survival based skill. You're just making fire on a podium. Not here for it. No. Okay, so. Uh, Cassidy does end up putting Jesse against Gabler, which I actually thought was the best possible move. Do you see like any other combination being better for her? 
No, I thought it was definitely, definitely the best move for her. Because if Jesse did win this, he would have won the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think hands but down. But by not sending him, he definitely wins the game. For sure. So exactly. it's like, this is at least giving yourself yeah. the possibility. This is the chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she chose the right person because Gabler made a roaring fire in no time at all. And I, I, I have to wonder how much that played into the jury's perception of Gabler. It seemed they already had their mind made up by the time that the questioning was going on. I mean, like... That was, I think, one of the very unique things about this season was, and I think part of why the final tribal ultimately flopped was it just, you, Gabler's win became apparent so quickly, not just from the fact that he had the best performance at tribal. We've seen that before, where, like, there is clearly someone that is just on a different... Like, Marianne, this last season, it was so clear that she'd won tribal from the perspective of the person playing, but this seemed clear both from that Gabler gave a great tribal and the jury's position felt so clear. Yeah, I have to I have to push back on this concept that Gabler gave a great final tribal okay, performance. Okay, sorry. Okay, yeah, go ahead. It was decent. Yeah, And okay. I think he like spun his narrative well, but he had, it seemed to me, and granted this is like a several hour tribal council that gets edited down into 15, 20 minutes. So we're not seeing everything. Uh, according to Exit Press, and I, I know this is coming from bias sources, but Cassidy and Owen have been talking about how uh, they were very surprised about what they saw in the final tribal council on TV because they said that Gabler was barely stringing together sentences in uh, the actual tribal council. But uh, granted, these are maybe maybe sore losers. I also don't believe that because... has a track record of being a sore loser. But also, you can only, like, edit a person so much. Like, it's not like... It's not like... So, I don't totally believe that. Also, I I think what they were saying was he gave gave some good answers. Right. And they're only showing the good ones. The only things that they showed. Okay, fair enough. I also would advise some of these Survivor players to, like, ease up on their social media because it's a lot um, from certain ones of them. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But no, I I agree with you. I was going to just say, I think the bar was so low with Gabler that... Perhaps the the feeling that like he really nailed this tribal council is just we've been led to believe he's like this bumbling idiot throughout so much of the season. So for him to come in and be like have some you know answers prepared and you know a, a great understanding of his game and how he was going to respond to certain questions, I think if if nothing else, it was like surprising that he was so proficient. I yeah, and I think. It was just became very, very clear because Gabler was sort of like running comedy hour. He was doing Joy's Comedy Corner at Jeff's Comedy Corner at Tribal Council, where the jury was just laughing and laughing at some of the least funny jokes I've ever heard. I mean, this is a jury who had a huge reaction to Cody spitting on the spot uh, before voting. That that reaction was wild. (laughs) Oh my God. It's like touch grass. Like, have you never seen a joke before? Like, the, these people were laughing like they have never heard a joke before. And they were like, holy shit, this just unlocked something in my brain. No, I, I'm the, I, I think it's interesting to think about that if Cassidy was a man, how her explanation of her game would have landed. And if Gabler was a woman, how his explanation of his game would have landed. Mm-hmm. Because I think that Cassidy gave... And look, I tweeted this. This, I have never not rooted for anyone more in a final tribal council since Game Changers. Uh, I didn't 
really care at this point who won. I felt like all of them played pretty middling games. Yeah, they got to the end, and that's it. That's something. But I think they got to the end in a season where the gameplay was pretty tepid. And so we had three people who I was rooting for Cassidy, if any of them. But even then, I was not like super, super invested in anybody's win. Um, certainly, I got the worst outcome of <laughs> the possible of the three. But, you know, Cassidy played a much more traditional final tribal council where she explained her game in a strategic sense, kind of said, like, look, sorry if you were hurt, but like, here's here's why each of you went home. Uh, We did see that blunder from her where she talked about uh, leading the vote against Ryan. And then we had Gabler and Jesse and Cody come in and say, no, actually, we led that you were just used as a number. But it's like, I mean, she didn't you have no way of knowing. I mean, your, your perception of your game is based on your experience in the game and for her her experience was that she went to them and said hey let's go get out ryan without knowing that i mean she had no way to know that this they had this alliance and guess what neither did we uh because this ride or die alliance it was never mentioned in the show until final tribal council and die. it was kind of a linchpin in gabler's win so uh, another comment that jeff made in his interview to dalton ross or to actually to mike bloom was that survivor has the best team of editors on television and to that <laughs> i <laughs> i have to show them the final tribal council of 43 and ask really really Right. And uh, the best team of editors on television is actually The Real Housewives of Potomac, which anyone listening to Drop Your Buffs that watches The Real Housewives of Potomac will know exactly what I mean. Um, The hardest working, best, and most just uh, next level uh, editors are over on Bravo. I'm sorry to say. Do you have anything to say about Owen's performance at Final Tribal Council? No. (laughs) I don't remember it personally. I just think it's, I do think it's worth um, for future players of the game to, there are like lessons to be learned about Owen's gameplay and the lack of human connections he made in the game and how um, his game was so wrapped up in winning challenges. And I think that he fumbled the ball so much in, in sort of thinking about jury management, but also just even beyond jury management, I feel like Owen if I were someone whose intention in this game was to like have this life-changing experience, I feel like Owen did not grow as a person. If anything, it's like, I feel like things like took a turn for the worse <laughs> at the end. And I feel like if you can't win the game, what you can get from the game is like this, you know, either rejuvenation of your spirit, uh, discovering, uh, you know, all, all of the things that, you know, people can think of that an experience like this could bring about. I feel like Owen flopped not only in the game of Survivor, but he flopped his own experience of playing the game. I was yeah, going to say we I, were I, all rooting for you, but, like, I don't even think that's the case with Owen. Like, I think it was just, like... I think a lot of people were rooting for Owen. I think they liked the personality that he was putting forward. Uh, I wasn't rooting for him to win the game, because I didn't think that he played a good game. I, I, I've said before that I do like when people play from the bottom, but I like when people play from the bottom and manage to like pull something off from the bottom. And I don't think that he had that. I don't think he had that thing on his resume that he could point to. Right. Like, um, how far into Australia are you now? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, <laughs> the last thing I saw was the Roman vote. 
which is so long. Like it was oh like gosh. two and a half weeks ago. Okay, well, watched. but uh, now that someone is over, uh, now that White Lotus is over, I'm back. Okay, well, there's someone who, in classic fashion, like really is playing from the bottom and having to maneuver week to week. And I'm like, okay. I love that acumen of being like, oh, I am clearly because I always there is this point when, and this has happened on many seasons of Survivor where. Your alliance keeps getting chipped away at to the point where it's maybe you're the last one or one of two, and that actually becomes an advantage because if there's a an if there's a tribe that's more or less stuck together but is more more of a tribe an, an original tribe than they are an alliance, then you being one or two people left from the decimated tribe. There's a, it all of a sudden, like, it's like how Jeff says at the final tribal, the power shifts from the contestants to the jury. It's that same idea where, like, there's a point in the game where, like, you're so out of luck that it shifts entirely and you become the luckiest person. Um, when that, that tribe, when you start to realize, oh, they're a tribe, not an alliance. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting back on Australia tonight. Oh my God. I am fucking loving it. It's funny, though, because they just, I mean, several weeks ago, when we were watching it, they passed day 26, and there's, like, 14 of them left. So, you know, I told you that there's one person from season one on Heroes versus Villains, potentially. Yeah. I found out that that is not true. So there's more than one or zero? Zero, as far as okay. I'm aware. Well, then... Which is really disappointing, because there's actually somebody that I would have really liked to see play. Who and is it? I heard that, I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> do you know you who wins? I do. Yeah, because remember I told you that they follow oh, right, us. Right, 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 right. So, um... Do you think they listen to this recap right now? I don't think they're listening to this recap, but, you know, the most recent feed posts I posted with the, the tweet that I did of Sandra's thing that Angelina replied to me, they liked that. Uh-huh. So they're engaged. Uh-huh. They're certainly engaged. Don't go looking at who likes that. I won't, I won't, I won't, I, I won't. beg of you. I won't. <laughs> Do you know someone messaged, so I posted but, this? So I, heard, I, so I heard that the person, I heard that the person who was rumored to be cast on Heroes vs. Villains was indeed meant to be cast and was swapped out at the very last minute for reasons I don't know. But wow. I'm like a Natalie put, Bolton I'm situation. Gonna, I'm going to put my Detective Pikachu hat on and get to the bottom of this. Okay, so as a, like anything else to say here on this final tribal? No. No, me neither. It's like if we say too much, we're dignifying it. You know what I mean? I know. What do you make? I'll ask you this. I'll ask you this. Because there's been a lot of discourse online about Carla and Carla not voting for Cassidy to win. Carla's been getting a lot of hate online aye, about aye, it. Aye. Um, and some of it is certainly crossing the line. But I wonder what you make of this idea that perhaps Carla did poison the jury against Cassidy, that she that she followed through with her promise of, if you send me to the jury, I am going to campaign against you. Uh, do you think that happened? And what do you make of her not turning around and voting for who was her closest ally for the majority of the game to win? It's kind of like what you were saying earlier, though, where it's like, I don't think Cassidy was like really that big of an ally for her. I think it was like a convenience of like, they were in the game together from the outset. They witnessed other people in their alliance go home. They were the last two standing. But 
if it was like a Parvati Amanda kind of friendship, you know, that they had like this real strong bond and one of them turned on the other, I think I would feel perhaps how some of these fans are feeling. But like Carla and Cassidy were clearly and explicitly at times not playing the game together. So it's not like it was some big blind side. Um, and I imagine that like, so wait, so I'm assuming Carla voted for Gabler. Yeah. So it's like, I imagine that they had some sort of bond that we didn't see. Hmm. So like, I guess the question is like, are we assuming that the vote is entirely out of spite? Uh, Carla's or the entire juries? Carla's. I think that's the assumption being but made But are people online. assuming that or knowing? Like, so it hasn't been set. No, they're assuming. They're assuming yeah. it. I just don't Carla feel did like say, Carla did say in an exit interview that had Cassidy put herself into fire and won that, that she would have voted for Cassidy. Whether well, that's true or not, I don't know. Have, I don't later really and it's it. after she's seen the tweets. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just feel like it's not like Cassidy was like this iconic player that like no. that's the thing about this season that I think is tricky in terms of the fan response, because it's like Yes, it's weird that Gabler won, but it's also not as though Gabler won against a clear favorite. Mm. It's more like there were three eh players in the end and one of the eh won out. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what do you make of Cassidy's hair? Speaking of the Sandra tweet, uh, what was going on there? Well, can you contextualize the Sandra tweet for those that may not have seen it? Uh, so actually, it wasn't a tweet. It was I I tweeted it, but it was an Instagram photo. So Sandra live hard posted the her viewing experience of forty three. So periodically throughout the finale, Sandra would snap a pic of her TV. Any angle would do. She would snap a pic of her TV and then comment on what she's seeing. So for example, she she snapped a pic of. Owen sitting on the big rock as soon as they got to the new island. She went, that's the island of the idols. Is my statue still up? Okay. And then she snapped a picture of Cassidy at tribal. I think this is the tribal she had immunity and was sending people to fire. And Cassidy's hair is truly wild. It is everywhere. And fair enough. She doesn't have a brush or a mirror. What can we Knowing this season, there's probably like a beauty bar in the back. Knowing the season, there is not a beauty bar. (laughs) (laughs) And Sandra captioned the photo, I'm over here touching my hair and patting it down. Congratulations on that final immunity, Cassidy. And then she commented on the post saying, is it me or is her, her hair full of static? Where would the static come from out there? Never seen anyone look like that. Confused emoji. So she raises some good questions. Where is the static coming from? Are they getting static that we aren't seeing on TV? Are the camera people giving them static? Uh, Do they have balloon parties every night? Are there balloons at tribal council? All of these are pressing questions. Um, So, but but the real story here for me was that that I tweeted that just like, LOL, Sandra, but that Angelina Keeley went out of her way. Well, I don't know. She doesn't follow me. She doesn't? Out of her way. No. She doesn't have a clue who I am. That's, I bet she does. <laughs> Sean, you're and big in the survivor she, world. She replied, did she make a whole ass post for her hair static? So uh, truly the most iconic thing to come out of the finale. Not no. <laughs> Not no. Not no. Cut that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> 
uh okay well gave her one and then guess what we got to have a whole ass reunion on the island and that was i didn't pay attention to it so i don't know how it was I oh i guess we should talk about the fact that sorry i guess we should talk about the fact that gabler announced earlier in the episode and then on the live uh, quote-unquote reunion after show thing that his entire prize fund of one million well it's not one million dollars it's uh, six hundred thousand after obama takes it um that, <laughs> that is a survivor reference for people who think uh, okay so <laughs> that that <laughs> His entire prize fund, after Obama takes it, will be donated to veterans in need. Now, this would be the first time somebody that I'm aware of has donated the entire prize fund to charity. Eliza Orleans had some things to say about this. I didn't quite understand them totally, but I guess she said that veterans in need is a Trump super PAC. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that that's confirmed. Um, she did post some very helpful links that detail the finances of this organization and, I don't know, question some of their methods of getting money. I, I honestly, like I, like, I don't understand this. I don't really care, to be honest. Like, it's also become very apparent that Gabler is uh, a Trumpy, an anti-vaxxer, calls LGBT people groomers. Um, so he's like very MAGA. Um, it, it really is my comparison to Game Changers really is apt in this situation. Although he seems like a shittier person than Sarah Lucina. So I don't know what to make of it all. I don't know what to make of it all. If you want to learn more about this, you can go to Eliza's Twitter. There are links to stories that explain explain sort of like the affiliations of the charities and whatnot. I would just say the tweet that I want to call out within all of this comes from our beloved Gabby Piscuzzi, where she said, I feel like maybe the government should pay for care for veterans and not winners of Survivor. So I just think that that was hit the nail on the head entirely. Gable, Gabler's problematic ways aside, um, I just feel like that to me <laughs> is the tweet that of the night um, outside of Angelina's. Not no. Outside of Angelinos <laughs> to you. But yeah, am I surprised about this with Gabler? Not at all. He seems very much like, I'm sure Mark Burnett is jizzing himself in his palace with, um, who's Mark Burnett's wife? Jenna. Maraska? No. Um, <laughs> I don't know who his wife is. Oh, but she's a uh, Mark Burnett wife. Oh, Roma Downey. Mm, Roma Downey. Yes, of Touched by an Angel fame. Anyway. Downey Jr. They're loving this win. And listen, I feel like you, this is this is the reality of the world we live in, you know? Um, they walk among us. So, I'm, I mean, like, I, I guess it's like, I feel like in 2022, to be shocked that Gabler is like a MAGA Republican to me indicates that we've learned nothing. So I would say, like, I am the opposite of shock that Gabler is a MAGA Republican. I If if uh, Carla was a MAGA Republican, then you could color me shocked. But, like, I mm. think that we, as a, this is, like, bigger than Survivor, but I think we as a society need to, like, of course Gabler is a MAGA Republican. You know what I mean? Like, we need to 
take our learnings from the past six or plus years and uh, understand the fact that just because they're not walking around wearing the red hat, uh, a la Sarah Lucina at the Game Changers finale, they walk among us. And of those walking among us, Gabler, I would say, is one of the more easily identifiable. So I am not shocked. Um, and it is what it is. And I'm just thinking, like, $600,000 is a lot of money, right? He could give a lot to that Trump super PAC and still have plenty left over to go to school and become a real surgeon. Hello. <laughs> but I would say, if anything, I am... Um, <laughs> I'm glad that I don't like Gabler will not be a name. I, this is actually, I'm going to, I'm going to say like, I'm about to say it right now. This will be the last time I ever utter his name. Gabler. <laughs> um, it will never happen again. I'm glad to say that like, I can move past this similarly to how I felt about, uh, other players that we've been forced to speak about because of their time on the show. Um, I'm excited to, what put if I told you that I booked Gabler for an interview next week with us? Honestly, I'd be fine with it. I would do it. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, great. <laughs> I'd be like, let's talk about your iconography. Um, no, but I mean, like, I I'm, I guess I would say it's like, yes, I think Gabler is a flop winner. But, like, I think we've had multiple flop winners in the past many seasons of Survivor. So it's like, this is more par for the course. I would say, I think because we got so lucky with Marianne last season that we maybe thought that there was going to be like this big tide shift, but it's important to remember, similarly to Marianne sort of being an Obama in this, in this equation here, where it's like, it, progress is not just linear, right? So it's not as though, oh, we got Marianne, Marianne and now we're going to have great winners moving forward. It's like, no, we went from Obama. So you're saying like we got Obama and then we got Trump. Yeah. Don't tell me we're getting Biden next season. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't rewrite history, Sean. It is what it is. Let's let's bookmark this very conversation right now. And we'll do one of those, you know, when podcasts do you like to look back and then they do like the time uh -huh. machine music? We'll do yeah. that right here. <laughs> Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I have to say, the preview for 44 I thought was promising. I, there were some characters. That, Although, that woman like, with the blonde uh, hair. I just feel like, okay, this is, this is like, a, this is maybe like an in the family kind of con uh, thing I want to say real quick, but like, Survivor's viewpoint of what LGBTQ plus people is, hmm. is like, it's not that it's not who we are, and it's not that it's like, um, there's nothing wrong with it. I want to say that. But it's like, they just have this way in which it's so clearly, I'm choosing my words. Um, do you want to pick up? I know, where, I know where you're going, but yes and no. Because, okay, uh, because look at the queer representation we've had in the past couple of seasons. I think we've really seen a broad array of kinds of LGBTQ people. And certainly the ones who are more front and center are the guy from 44 who's going to poop in the ocean. But I think we got some really like balanced representations of people. And, you know, I'm thinking about like, um, what was that tribe last season? Like High and Chanel and Lydia and Evie from 41. And, you know, like I think we've gotten like an array of interesting sort of like different types of people who are like, more measured, some not so measured. Like, I think we've, I, th I think they're doing an okay job. I get okay. what you're saying about like, they really like to put that 
other version for it because you know having said that like chanel was never identified as a queer person on survivor right and i right, think that's right. okay i think that's uh, yeah, okay, yeah absolutely actually. okay so yeah no you i think it comes point. down more to like who they're casting and like the types of personalities that they're casting and why they're casting those personalities right no but you make a really good point with chanel which is like i think that's what i would love to see them move more toward um because also if i remember correctly like rafe was not like his him being gay was not really part of his i don't remember it being a part of the yeah. show but Maybe that even, said like, i don't want to be like the know. gatekeeper of like queer people can't tell their own queer stories on television that's not really what it is um so but i just feel i feel like there's a certain type of gay person or lgbtq plus person i should say rather that they really like like to highlight so anyway i i'm curious to see too i mean we talked about this with the way in which it's like the two times that they've had trans people on the show their storylines have been heavily centered around their transness. Mm. Actually, well, not the first time out, rather. Actually, really, worth, yeah. we really, so actually, I think Zeke's first season, and by the way, to no fault of Zeke's with that second season, um, I think Zeke really actually is an outlier in this and a great example of like the, the possibility. But again, I wanna correct myself to say, queer people should be able to tell their stories the way they wanna tell them. So if they wanna go on the show and have their story be about how queer they are, by all means, go forth. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, well, that was great. Um, do you have to go I right don't now? think that was, like, super negative. No. I mean, no, sure. actually, like, no. I didn't want to talk about this at all. I think we had a good discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of Final Fire... Final Four Fire Making Challenge. Get rid of that. We can get rid of that. I think that would be yeah. a big fix to the show. Certainly yeah. the end game of the show. Um, bring back jury speeches because I think I would have gotten a much better sense of where people stand. And I think the players have a better chance of being able to respond, understanding where people are coming from because I think in a group setting, I think the motiva- motivations get hidden a little bit. Um, and so I would have loved to have heard Carla's jury speech to Cassidy mm-hmm. as opposed to a series of sort of like veiled questions. Um, so we've got we've got some things for Survivor to work on. I will be emailing uh, Survivor shoutout at gmail.com to share my opinions with Jeff Probst. No, I won't, but did you see that in the after show? Jeff Probst said, if you have something to you tell us about to Survivor, you can you can, <laughs> you can email us at Survivor shoutout at gmail.com. Not at cbs.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should tell you the state of affairs. So well, I, at least it was a hotmail. <laughs> My thoughts and prayers are with the intern sifting through those emails at this time. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us at Drop Your Buffs Pod on Instagram, and you're going to comment what on the post? The alligator? Um, <laughs> what are you going to comment on? No, we don't want to celebrate that. Wait, wait, what did you say? The balloon for static hair. Oh, great. Oh, actually, so you say that. I was, I've been portrait. thinking about the balloon emoji recently. Okay. Yeah, that's oh, great. Good. Good. Okay. Happy birthday to Cassidy. Send her a balloon uh, as a consolation prize. That would be really nice. Uh, uh, And then so make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss our upcoming content. We're excited to get back into more Survivor history, which we love. Uh, If you are interested in Drop Your Buffs merch, you can go to the link in the show notes, dropyourbuffspod.com. If you would like to join in our Borneo rewatch, which we are going to be picking back up on, then go to patreon.com forward slash dropyourbuffs. Thank you so much for listening and sticking it out through Survivor 43 with us. Bye. Bye.